Life Audio. Hello and welcome to Kainos Project. I'm Dale. I am Tamara. And we're here to help you tackle ancient truths in everyday settings. So, SBC is creating a stir once again. Once again, it's SBC season. (laughs) We learn the latest drama. So last week, the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee, they announced that Saddleback Church, famously founded by Rick Warren and the Purpose Driven Life and the Purpose Driven Everything and all that kind of stuff, uh, has been deemed to be, quote, no longer in friendly cooperation with the SBC, which is the SBC way of saying uh, we're breaking up with you. And so they've been disfellowshipped from the denomination. And the SBC is interesting as a dom- denomination because it's a very flat authority structure. And so it's basically more a collective or an association of churches that choose to give to the, what's called the cooperative program. And then they pool their resources and then the central denominational structures disperse those resources uh, in various ways. Um, and so the... The local church autonomy is a key um, feature of Southern Baptist polity. But if you do something that transgresses them to a point where they can say, like, you, we don't feel like you're a Southern Baptist anymore, they have a credentials committee that can recommend that you are no longer in friendly cooperation and they can disfellowship you. And so this is what has happened to Saddleback Church in, like, Forest, California. Yeah, so SBC operates a little bit more like a franchise ownership rather than corporate. So I know maybe we shouldn't use these terms when we're talking about churches, but uh, when we're thinking of the actual structure of churches, I think that's a it's an easy way for my mind to understand the difference in the politics of church is uh, they don't tell you here's what you have to do, here's what you can't do. Um, like other denominations that have more of a hierarchy of power in terms of like, here is what we all hold to. And if if you're not doing that, we're going to hold you accountable. And here's the process you need to go through if you're not falling in line with the denomination. But SBC is kind of like, we're just all going to put our money in a bucket and like pool resources together um, and operate a little bit more like a franchise rather than a actual like corporate office. Yeah, so prices and participation may vary depending on the SBC church. <laughs> yes, exactly. But they can decide to kick you out if they feel like you've gone beyond the pale. And that's what they feel that Saddleback has done. And the offense that was the cause of Saddleback being kicked out of the church is that they have named women on their church staff uh, as pastors, they have ordained them to the title of pastors, uh, and one of them regularly preaches at their weekend services. And so, as you might imagine, the news of that and the reason of that has made a big splash for those within the SBC who already hated Saddleback. There are quite a few of them, uh, and who have hated Rick Warren for any number of years, whether it's because it's a mega church or he has a best selling book or it's seeker sensitive or he preaches topical sermons or, you know, any of the standard fare of why you would hate a large church pastor. Uh, they saw this as an absolute win. And in fact, like there have been people who say, who've been saying like Saddleback's not a very Southern Baptist church. Uh, they, those voices have been around for a long time and really in earnest for the past two years, people have been trying to make this happen and it, and it did happen. But for others, 
they kind of saw this as a sign that the SBC kind of hates women and is moving in a more fundamentalistic trajectory more and more, you know, as each year goes by. And so those are kind of the two ways people are interpreting this news. Um, and so today what I thought we'd talk about is this question of like, okay, was the SBC out of pocket for kicking out Saddleback Church? And we'll kind of break the discussion down into how we got here, the theology devolved, involved in the debate, and then like the kind of larger cultural context um, of emphasizing this particular view for complementarity, as well as some other happenings and goings on in the current uh, SBC. Uh, but we'll dive into that in just a moment. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Okay, so there is a lot to this story, as there is with most SBC stories that I follow rather closely. Yeah, there's a lot of background that you have to actually read past the headline and read years and years back into what has brought us to this moment in time for Saddleback to be kicked out of SBC. Right. So it all began on a warm spring morning in May of 2021. Actually, I didn't go back and check what the weather was that day, so it might have been raining. Who knows? But in May, May 2021... Flowers bring April... Nope. April showers bring May flowers. <laughs> you don't May flowers the... bring April showers. Never mind. May, maybe there were flowers. Okay. Super in, bloom. In May 2020... <laughs> it's just like free association at some point. In May of 2021... Uh, Saddleback, they ordained three women onto their staff uh, to the title of pastor. And they weren't teaching pastors, and they think all three of them were leaders either over children or youth. And in many SBC churches, uh, there are women leaders in these areas, but they just aren't given the title pastor. Like there are those who are like children's ministry directors or, or youth coordinators directors or, or yeah. coordinators, but they're not called pastors. And so the issue at hand here was really one of language. Uh, can you call a youth director a pastor, even if it's a woman? Not generally speaking, but according to SBC belief and standards. Mm -hmm. That was the question that was being raised by a lot of people at that time, because Saddleback uh, stepped out of the norm of designating these roles as director Distinction without a difference, yeah. Yeah. So they just said, hey, we're going to go ahead and call you pastor, um, even though you are... You're taking on the role that a lot of other women in a lot of other SBC churches are taking on. We're just going to call you pastor. 
most of the other SBC churches are going to call you coordinator or director. But this is when people started to get upset because they were giving them the title pastor. Yeah, and so as a result of that, the SBC Credentials Committee, they launched an inquiry into Saddleback. And uh, at the next annual meeting, which is in June of uh, 2022 in Anaheim, uh, this is basically where all the major denominational business gets done. It's like one – if you've ever been to like a church business meeting, it's like that but like with thousands of people at the Anaheim Convention Center or whatever convention awful. center they have. Yeah, it's, it's – there's drama. I would imagine. Um, you were there, right? That, I was, You attended yeah. this one, yeah. So I saw it all unfold. Um, and Saddleback was on the chopping block. And that's where it kind of got interesting. So at one point, there was this whole debate on the convention floor over like what the word pastor means uh, in the Baptist Faith and Message 2000, which is like the unifying statement of faith for uh, the SBC. And in particular, there's this line that says, while both men and women are gifted for service in the church, the office of pastor is limited to men as qualified by scripture. And so the question that they had was whether this refers only to the senior pastor or any role on staff that could be referred to as pastor, whether it's an associate pastor, a youth pastor, a children's pastor, or whatever the like. So that people are starting to argue about that. And so the credentials committee, they're like, well, how about this? What, what if we do a year-long study on what the word pastor means? And that went over like a lead balloon. Like people are just in an uproar, getting out of their seats. And uh, at one point, Albert Moeller, who's the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, which is like the, the flagship seminary of the SBC. And he was also on the committee who wrote and crafted the language for the BFM 2000. He gets up to the microphone and he's like, why are you going to do a year long study on what the word pastor means? 21 years ago or 22 years ago, when we crafted this language, we knew exactly what it meant. Meant, and it meant we were we were referring to anyone who who is a, a pastor, like that. That is a a, a title that is um, reserved only for men, and that's how I understood it when I was on that committee at that time. So why don't we go with the authorial intent of what that was? And there was like other procedural questions going on, and at one point, Rick Warren himself like rolled into the the SBC meeting and he basically admonished everybody in the denomination for uh, fixating on their disagreements rather than, you know, focusing on mission. And of course he's like, you know what, like I've trained more pastors than most of the SBC seminaries and we've planted more churches than any other SBC church. And we're the largest SBC church and we have the most small groups. And like, why are you trying to kick me out over this thing that you disagree on? Da 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 and such and such in all the kerfuffle and the, and all that stuff, uh, the conversation eventually got tabled until a later date. And then fast forward uh, a couple months. So this was in June of 2022. Fast forward a couple months. Um, Rick Warren, he retires from Saddleback after you know founding the church over 40 years ago. And his replacement comes in, uh, a fellow named Andy Wood. And by the way, we're not going to get into this whole thing of Andy Wood when he came on. There's questions about whether he had a toxic or abusive uh, leadership style at his previous church. There was an internal investigation. He was clear of that. There's a lot to say there, but we're just going to table that for now because we're going to stay on task right now. But he comes in and he um, brings his wife on, whose name is Stacy. And at their previous church, she was a teaching pastor. Uh, and so she comes on as uh, one of the pastors on staff as a teaching pastor. And she... Um, 
preaches regularly on the weekends, and that was kind of like the final straw uh, for you know the SBC machine. And so, just this past week, they decided, "Hey, you're beyond the pale. You're out of the club. You're no longer in friendly cooperation with us anymore. Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you." Yeah, because at that point they weren't just calling women pastors. Like it was, it was a step out of semantics and into actual responsibilities changing. And obviously, in the world of Christianity at large, uh, the question of whether or not uh, women should preach and teach are allowed to preach and teach um, is a very hot issue, and it has been, and it continues to be. And, um, so for them to move from just calling like the children's director, children's pastor now, where the, now they actually have a woman who is actively preaching on Sunday mornings and her title is pastor. Like they've now stepped further into, um, the conflict, I guess that was already arising within the SBC denomination. And this just became the straw that broke the SBC Camelback. Right. And so at the heart of this, there's a lot of questions of polity in terms of denominational polity and governance. Um, But there's a, a theological question at play too. And this is something that we've written about at length and we'll link to as many resources as we can find on our website uh, in the show notes for this episode. But to summarize this debate, we can basically put it into three major views uh, when it comes to women in church leadership. And the first is the egalitarian view. And this is the view that women uh, can be pastors, uh, they can be church elders or overseers and preachers. In short, they can do anything that a man in a church can do by way of leadership. Then there are hard complementarians and these are labels i'm coming up with myself for yeah, the, the, the latter I've, two i've never read these labels in a like a theological book but this is a but this <laughs> no, is but it's true. about There's the a way spectrum. it goes so there are you know strong complementarians or hard complementarians and these folks say that a woman cannot be pastors they can't be church elders or overseers they can't be preachers uh they can be leaders but they can only be leaders of women and children uh, and they can never preach to men, and they can never lead men. Then there are what are called kind of soft complementarians. And these say that women can't be elders of the church or overseers, you know, be on the elder board, the governance board, uh, but they can be preachers and pastors. So while the elder board is composed of only of those biblically qualified men, when it comes to the pastoral team, women can be on that team, and they can express leadership, and they can even preach. And so in this view of soft complementarianism, the office of overseer or elder is distinguished from the function of preaching or pastoral leadership. And so that's a distinction that doesn't exist in the, you know, the, the stronger version of complementarianism, and it's a distinction that doesn't matter for the egalitarians because they say women can do anything anyways. And so this kind of soft complementarianism is where uh, Saddleback kind of falls. And Andy Wood, I think in a, a pair of interviews, one with the Associated Press and I think another one with Baptist Press, he kind of expressed that um, 
you know, his wife, Stacy, who's this teaching pastor, she's, she's not his co-pastor. She's not an overseer. She's not on the elder board, but she's one of many pastoral leaders that's on the staff, and she has the gift of preaching. And so she is using that gift in accordance with the, uh, the gifting and the skill that she has, but it's a, still a complementarian structure in that there are no women on the elder board. And so... Um, it's still a version of complementarianism, but it's just a softer version, and it's a version that apparently is too soft for the leadership of the SBC, which is tending to lean uh, a little bit more towards that stronger or that harder complementarianism. And it's not in, in, in like a clean line between oh a soft complementarian and a and a strong complementarian. It's it's more of a spectrum, but. Uh, this case is kind of illustrating where the breaking points of that spectrum are and what the general tolerance of that is uh, within the SBC, which is a complementarian, um, has a complementarian framework. Yeah, so the title of pastor made a lot of SBC um, churches squeamish, but it wasn't quite enough of a barrier or now you've really crossed a line back in what, 2020, 2021. Um, but now that there is a woman being called pastor and she's giving the authority to preach and teach, this is now the line that SBC um, is deciding has been crossed and is not okay. And that's where, like when you're describing a spectrum, it really is a spectrum because you have some churches that are okay with women being on the stage Sunday morning to pray or make announcements, but that's all they're allowed to do. Some say, no, you can't even do that. So it just depends on what church you're going to and, and the denomination as far as exactly like detail by detail what is a woman allowed to do in in any form of leadership yeah and the the arguments for any one of these views um they're they're weighty there's a lot to them and uh and there's a lot of people who have made you know pretty extensive theological arguments based on the, the data of scripture in either which direction. And so we're not really getting into all of that here. Um, we've gotten into it at other places, but there is just, it's not just like a, you know, flavor of the month, choose the one you like, that there's some real, there's a real sense of conviction from what the Bible says on, on either one of these views. Yeah. And we've talked about this a lot in our blogs and our podcasts. So we'll link to all of that in the show notes, just if you want to dive deeper into the theological side of these conversations. Um, we have plenty of resources that kind of share our wrestling with it and our discovery of it and, and how we understand the biblical passages that do show some kind of limitations to what a woman's allowed to do and, um, isn't isn't allowed to do within the church. So if you are really curious about going deep into that, check out our show notes and you can find more resources there. All right. So now the question that I want to explore is whether the SBC was out of pocket for this decision. And first we'll tackle that from a theological point of view, but we'll dive into that in just a moment. All right. So just based on theology, was it wrong for the SBC to kick out 
Saddleback. And we're not talking about any of the other cultural things going on, any of the other political things going on within the denomination from a pure nuts and bolts theology and theological conviction. Um, were they out of pocket or are they within their rights? So like we just talked about, there are different theological views on it. Um, where does the SBC stand? Do they have a you know statement that they are egalitarian or that they are um, complementarian? I think that's well. They have a statement that they're complementarian, but the the way that complementarity expresses itself is the 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 thing that's the the bone of contention right now. And I think from the outset, it's important to recognize that this is an issue of. Um, polity. It's an issue of how does this particular tradition organize itself rather than who is a Christian and who is not a Christian. Um, because there's Bible-believing, Jesus-loving people on either side of the debate or in any one of the multivalent versions of whatever view. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of the times um, someone will want to say, because you don't agree in the egalitarian view on women in leadership. That means you're therefore not a Christian, which it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. (laughs) As we look to scripture and as we understand, there are definitely convictions that you can, you can understand and read within scripture of your studying of it and where you land. But for SBC as a whole, if they choose to stand um, and say that they are complementarian and lay out the way that that's supposed to look, then they are within the bounds of saying Saddleback is not abiding by our theological view on women in leadership, and therefore we need to kick them out of the denomination. Yeah, and I think looking at it from that perspective is helpful because, it, like you said, some egalitarians they'll they'll look at a complementarian and say like your complementarity is like necessarily abusive and oppressive to women in a way that egalitarianism isn't that it is a function of your theology to be oppressive and abusive in a way that's not true in egalitarianism but look at like prime example bill hybels famously egalitarian Famously an abuser. And so it's not necessarily a feature of complementarity to have that. You know, although there are a lot of situations in which complementarian theology has been co-opted in abusive ways and to abusive ends. Well, and it makes sense that it might lend itself to that naturally, right? Because you're you're telling a woman, like, here are all of the things you are not allowed to do. Um, and then here are all the things that men can do, which there's nothing off limits for men. Um, so I can see how it might, in in a very practical sense, give way to those types of abuses. But to just say holding that view automatically means you are abusive is not fair. And I imagine there are plenty of churches that hold to a even hard complementarian view that are not uh, outright just being abusive to women. Right. And it's not, that's a, that's a bug, not a feature of that view, I think. Yes, exactly. And then on the opposite side, you have some folks who are complementarians who look at egalitarians and say, hey, as soon as you let women start preaching, what else is next? And they they see it as like the gateway drug to compromise on all kind of sexual ethics, including, you know, LGBTQ plus values. Um, 
which I've seen that happen too. I've seen that like once you start to kind of reevaluate gender roles, then you start reevaluating gender itself. Um, but again, that's a bug, like not go, a feature. Yeah, you go so far down the um, how do we understand scripture and what is it saying? And also in light of the culture that we're living in, right? Like these are very much American church questions or Western church questions that aren't necessarily uh, the big contention points across the global church right now. Oh, yeah. I think case in point is the Anglican church right now who just made this determination that um, uh, Anglican uh, ministers, they can, you can't have a same-sex marriage in the church, but then they can have these ceremonies after the the couple gets a civil marriage that kind of celebrate it. And um, for everybody in like Western Europe and North America that they're like, oh yes, this is like progress or whatever. Literally everybody in the global South, which constitutes a majority of the Anglican church is like, what the heck are you doing? It's not even a question for them. It's not something they're wrestling with right now. Uh, it's it's not yeah it's just not within their cultural scope to even say like why are we even having these discussions like these are not critical points or of course here is the answer why would there be any other answer and at the same time those a lot of those pe- same people are egalitarian so to connect yes. LGBTQ with egalitarianism those they're two separate issues and just because they present in a particular coupling in North America, that doesn't mean that they're intrinsically connected to one another. And so again, it's a bug, not a feature of that side of things. And so with that out of the way, if we look at, there are, you know, good Christian people who fall on the egalitarian side, and there are good Christian people who fall on the spectrum of the complementarian side. And if we we allow that if you have a particular theological tradition and your denominational affiliation is creating structures around a particular theological tradition, then it makes sense that you would have boundaries on theology, even non-essential theology, because, you know, you can be a Christian, uh, but you can't be a part of this tradition without accepting the tradition. So there's a big difference between saying you can't be a Southern Baptist because you don't uh, affirm Southern Baptist theology. There's a difference between that and saying you you don't accept Southern Baptist theology, therefore you're not a Christian. And there are some hardline Southern Baptists would who would say the latter, but most reasonable ones would agree with the former. And so it's not necessarily wrong to create those boundaries if we're just thinking about this purely in a theological vacuum, like. I could I would be disqualified from Southern Baptist leadership because of my views on this issue if this is this decision is you know indicative of you know the SBC doctrine moving forward as they're kind of seeking to clarify it in the same way I couldn't be a Presbyterian minister because I'm not a Pado Baptist or um, I couldn't be a Catholic because I'm a you know, Catholic minister because uh, well for one I'm married uh, but for two I'm not a sacramentalist and so um. A tradition only works insofar as you actually adhere to it. And so I think from that perspective, um, so long as, you know, and the SBC is kind of democratically run, and so long as the majority agrees with like, yes, this is what we're affirming and not affirming, I think this is within bounds. Right. They have every um, liberty and authority and justification to say 
based on the actions of Saddleback and the way that they're handling their pastoral team and the uh, responsibilities they're giving to them, they just don't fall in line with our theological view on this particular topic. So therefore, we have to disassociate. I mean, that makes sense. You wouldn't you wouldn't charge any denomination, any ill will or any um, great offense if if they were doing the same thing to churches that were not abiding by their statements of faith or their theological views that are very clearly outlined. Yeah, and the other detail that's involved in this too, just as a point of procedure, uh, Saddleback has the ability to appeal their having been disfellowshipped. And if they appeal it, then it'll go before... Um, the delegates that go to the SBC meeting, um, they're called messengers. So it'll go before the messengers at this June's annual meeting, and they will be able to vote up or vote down uh, whether Saddleback's appeal will be heard and they'll be able to remain in the denomination or if the original's um, decision will remain and they'll be out. And so in that regard... um, the, the 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 process is still open in that regard, and it's still possible that a majority of Southern Baptists would say, you know what, our complementarity is flexible enough to accommodate Saddleback, um, but that'll be the determination of the the denominational collective as a whole, and then the, the dust will kind of settle after that, and then we'll have a very like a much more clear. Um, idea or vision for like what what their doctrinal. Uh, borders are okay so that's kind of like the theological side of things but now that we've double clicked on that we can hit the (laughs) hit the back button and look at the wider context of what's happening in the sbc at this particular cultural moment yeah the stories of sbc have layers and when you put them within the context of the layers the decision yeah, people are a little bit more opinionated on what is happening in light of uh, Saddleback being kicked out. Right. There are some other optics to consider in this. Yes. Because for the past number of years, the SBC has been you know, experiencing a reckoning of its sex abuse scandal. And survivor advocates, they've been campaigning for years and years and years for the denomination to address it which it only very recently began to do. And it's only sort of kind of. Like, they're not really addressing it. Well, it's early in the process. Okay. It's early in the process. You give more grace than I am, I guess. So, the executive committee, which is kind of like the central hub of denominational leadership, uh, they hired Guidepost Solutions to investigate whether they had mishandled um, sexual uh, abuse allegations between the year 2000 and the year 2021. And which and there was a lot to cover, and so in May of 2022, a month before that same meeting where Rick Warren and Albert Mueller and the whole thing, uh, the report came out and it was long and ugly. Yes, it was 288 pages, and it chronicled the systemic and repeated failure of the denominational leadership to respond appropriately to allegations of sexual abuse and had even gone as far to cover some things up. And the reason behind why they did nothing was that the executive committee, they didn't want to risk legal liability or legal exposure. And so they kind of hid behind this excuse of, hey, churches have 
autonomy. The local church has autonomy. We as a denominational infrastructure, we have no authority that we can exert over that. So there's really nothing that we can do about this. And um, so it just kind of kept going on. And one of the more shocking revelations was that in 2010, a then SBC president, Johnny Hunt, was credibly accused of sexually assaulting the wife of a fellow pastor. And there's just all this stuff going on. So for years, there was um, voices saying like, hey, can we get a registry of people who have been accused of sexual assault? Because what would happen is someone would be credibly accused of sexual assault. They would move three towns over and they would get hired in another church and they would just be able to do that again. And so um, they're saying like, can we get like a, some kind of system where we can communicate with one another and we can shine a light on this? And... Um, the the SBC was like, we can't do that because churches have local autonomy. There's no way we keep that kind of list. In secret, they were keeping a list for themselves in case they ever got sued, but they just didn't want to give it to anybody else lest it help somebody. And so this was going on for decades. And so this was finally came to light in 2022. And since then, they've tried to you know implement some reforms. Again, they since the uh, churches have autonomy, they can't, uh, tell them what to do, but they've um, they've agreed to they're going to create a database of people who have been credibly accused of sexual assault um, that um, you can check before hiring somebody to see if they've assaulted somebody, which is something. And then also, uh, if there are churches, they're kind of creating a more robust structure for if there are churches who are harboring uh, people who are credibly accused of sexual assault, then they can be disfellowshipped. And that there will be a stronger infrastructure in place for that. And it it's getting rolling. But at every turn, when it was the decision to hire guideposts, when the report came out, when there was ref- initial reforms that were suggested, uh, now that there are recommendations by this task force that are implementing those reforms, at every turn, it's been fought. People have drugged their feet. People have said like, ooh, him and hot and hand wrung over like how much is this going to cost us? It, what's our legal liability? You know, the churches, you know, we can't tell people not to have sexual abusers in their pulpits because of church autonomy. And yet this is kind of juxtaposed against the fact like we can't do anything if they're going to, you know, have sexual abusers in their pulpit. And then a woman shows up and they're like, bing, bang, boom. We're going to kick you out because it took like a decade to get the, the ball rolling on these sexual abuse reforms from the first Sunday that they announced that there were women pastors on uh, on the staff at Saddleback to them getting disfellowshipped was literally like 18 months, even it's, with all the debate. It's already been 18 months. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that it was that long. From, I thought it was sooner. Yeah. No, from the yeah. point of no, I when know, they hired like, those three or not hired, they ordained those three women. Right. It's like less than two years. Yeah. Well, and you think of the recent um, executive committee meeting that had disfellowshipped Saddleback. And there were five other churches that were removed from the SBC roster. Funny note on side note on that one. One of the churches wasn't even an SBC church. Oh, yeah. They yes. had a women pastor. That and they're like, you're out of the out. SBC. And then the, the pastor of that church is like, we were, we never, were never in the SBC. SBC. What are you talking about? That's just a funny <laughs> It's a funny side note. Yeah, like how do they keep track? Yeah, they maybe they just need better. They say we've never been in the SBC. Right, yeah. So, but of the five, one was not an SBC church in the first place. (laughs) 
Uh, so <laughs> I want to know like who's fired, like who. <laughs> That's pretty bad. Who goofed up? But of the five, one of these churches was kicked out because of uh, issues related to sexual abuse. All of the other churches were kicked out because of uh, the fact that there were women pastors. And the sexual abuse allegations have been going on for years and years and years, decades, really. And the list of churches that have hired um, sexual abusers some knowingly, some aware of allegations, some, you know, just sweeping them under the rug. Like the list is a lot longer than one church. But it was only one church that was kicked out of the fellowship. Yeah. And it's kind of crazy. Like I've seen this on Twitter. I won't name names of the pastors that do this, but there are some pastors with not insignificant platforms who actually like go about like on Twitter, like doing like these mega threads of every, um, instance they can find where some SBC church has someone on their staff who has the title of pastor and like you look at it and like the amount of research that they have to do it's like don't you have like a sermon to write like you spend your entire day like just researching all the churches that shouldn't be a part of your fellowship like don't don't you have a church of your own to pastor and so like there's a lot of energy going into that and these tend to be the very same folks who kind of wring their hands over like well churches have local autonomy who who are we to tell them they can't house a sexual abuser or what does it even really mean to be credibly accused anybody can accuse anybody and you know like it's just like a lot of like this kind of hemming and hawing and not really taking the sexual abuse issue seriously but being like serious as a heart attack when it comes to any woman expressing leadership right and in light of all of that is happening right now it People are starting to question what are the priorities of leaders in, within the SBC denomination. Um, do they care about these sexual abuse cases? Do they care about women that are in their churches being sexually abused? And yet we continue to put these men in forms of leadership, um, even if there's some measure of credibility to the accusation. And I'm not saying you don't do the due diligence to investigate and um, follow up with any accusation that comes. Um, I'm sure there are false accusations out there that have been uncovered and discovered and um, can completely destroy someone's life, right? But to place such a high priority and have such a quick turnaround to um, be very clear, like, we will not allow women to preach but we will allow them to be abused within our churches and that's perfectly fine. Right. It kind of gives you an idea of what a lot of the legacy SBC leadership folks think is the the biggest threat to their churches. And they haven't arrived on the conclusion that it's clergy sex abuse. They've arrived on the fact that it's women that do stuff, do anything, say anything. And so... I mean, that's pretty bleak. I mean, even like right now, so I mentioned Johnny Hunt earlier, like an extensive third-party investigation where they interviewed multiple, multiple people, not only the survivor, but the survivor's husband, the people who were around at the time. There was like this whole like uh, effort to keep it quiet that it involved this other um, biblical counselor. They interviewed him. They interviewed Johnny Hunt. Johnny Hunt's story changed multiple times. The story of everybody else was consistent. So he was, you know, seen as not a, a credible witness, and everybody else was seen as a credible. There's credible allegations that he sexually assaulted somebody, and yet 
there are two SBC churches that he has preached at since this this has come out. And um, one of them is even hosting. He's having like a men's conference that they're hosting. And to be sure, there are uh, credentials committees uh, inquiries that are going going out to both of these churches. And, you know, there's a pretty good chance both of them are going to be disfellowshipped. But the fact that these pastors and these churches felt that there was no reasonable expectation that there would be any consequences for them harboring a credibly accused sexual abuser in their pulpit, like that kind of speaks volumes because people wouldn't feel the same sense of emboldenedness to have a, a guest preacher be a woman, which right, is like just that, absolutely wild. Like they, yeah. th- sexual abusers are more safe in the pulpits of SBC churches than are women. I mean, that's just enough to make your blood boil. <laughs> <laughs> just enough. Just just enough to think like, as a church, shouldn't we be um, a place that people can come as a, a place of refuge? Like, is that not who Jesus is? Um, is a place of safety, of care, of love, and of refuge? And that you are going to be um, given the, the dignity that every person on the planet deserves right the respect the dignity the justice and to be heard and to be cared for um but unfortunately there are just great tragedies happening within the sbc churches and within the systems that are not being addressed but as soon as you hear a woman is preaching all of a sudden the system sound the alarm all of a sudden we can impede upon local churches autonomy right and so that's that's really really tragic and there are a lot of people within the southern baptist convention who are urgent and serious about addressing the uh the sins of the past and the, the sins of the present frankly when it comes to responding appropriately to sexual abuse allegations um, so I think there's hope within the SBC, but yeah, th- it, there there are a lot of moments um, that have looked quite bleak, and I f- I feel like this is one of them. That's a it's a, a microcosm of the type of uphill battle that that many of the leaders, and there are many leaders within the SBC who are very serious about rooting out this this issue of um, responding well to allegations of sexual abuse. That they're really in an uphill battle, though. Yeah, and it's not to say that there's no hope, right, for a species. Sometimes you just think, man, this is too far gone. <laughs> this is just too far gone for recovery, for redemption. But as believers, I think that we always have to hold on to hope and knowing that like, Jesus can redeem um, the ugliest of situations and the most dire of situations. I just really pray and hope that the leaders... Um, can begin to see the importance of that change that needs to happen. And I know this conversation started with uh, the role of women and what should they, could they, are they allowed to do within the role of a church? And we can talk on and on and on about complementarian theology here. Um, But I think there's something else that is it's not more important. Uh, certainly your view of women in the church and holding to 
that view is important, but also it should be addressed that protecting women within your own churches should probably be a higher priority. Knowing there are, I mean, how many victims have come out at this point? Do you know? Many. Is it hundreds? Is it thousands? Um, I don't even want to hazard a guess, but there are, yeah. are any number of very high profile. Right. Um, yeah. Survivors that have come out and have been, you know, the driving force for a lot of the advocacy for change. But then there are many who whose stories are yet untold um, and have yet to experience any measure of justice. Yeah. And so that many, I guess you're right, is the best way to, to phrase it. Many. But there's hope for change. And it's easy for us, even on a podcast, to to sit back and look at the overall landscape and culture of a certain denomination and um, nitpick it. But I don't think this is nitpicking. <laughs> I think right. to see the number of um, sexual abuse allegations that are happening against the number of churches and the lack of response or the um, the quickness of response, I guess. Maybe that's a way to say it is. It's just not happening fast enough. So you see the SBC can move fast. Right. They can move lightning fast like if they need you to. Think, sometimes you think, well, the machine is just so big, it's probably hard to pivot it, right? Right, because there's only like five major meetings a year. Right. Um, there's a lot of things that the denomination could be doing. There's a lot of resources right. that you but know, unfortunately, be this or that. Unfortunately, we've just seen how quickly they can if you, move. If you want to move, you can move. <laughs> but they have chosen not to or have had such you know hurdles in that process. So... Um, Change in culture is hard. It takes time. And so I just hope that they can speed up that time because they have clearly shown the world that they can do things a lot faster if they choose to. Thanks for listening to the Kainos Project podcast. Thank you also to our partners at Life Audio. Visit lifeaudio.com to find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in the network, including shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. If you enjoyed hanging out with us today, consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a rating and review. And be sure to visit our website, kinosproject.com, for more helpful resources. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Hello, this is Dr. Doug Grotheis, host of Truth Tribe where we seek the truth through reason and evidence about what matters most. And we are not tribal since truth is for everyone. Please join me at the Truth Tribe as I discuss the reasons for Christian faith, the Christian worldview, and moral issues such as abortion and gender ideology. To listen now, go to lifeaudio.com or search Truth Tribe on your favorite podcast app.